Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello, and welcome back to Parents Engaging Parents Block Talk Show. I want to thank our panelists for coming on board. We have with us today K.L. Billings, an educator from the New York City um, education system. And we also have with us our guest calling in real soon, Barbara Martinez from the Uncommon School System. In today's discussion, we want to talk about our racial and ethnic um, imbalance in our classrooms and the understanding of where's the color of teachers in our school systems. Uh, my good friend, KL, how you doing today, KL? Hello? So KL may be um, tied up real quick. So I want to definitely thank everybody for once again um, being a part of the show. Today, we're talking about the diversity of teachers of color in our school systems. Um, it's understood since 1987 to 2012, um, minority teachers have grown, obviously, in our country. Some percentages from 12% up to 17%. And at the same time, we've seen minority students at the same um, time span also grow but yet not at the same level of um, of the uh, minority teachers. We actually know that the minority students are more than half the student population of our school systems, but the growth and um, is not as rapid as the teachers that actually get to be in front of our um, children. And and we, we know this is important for our ch- children to see themselves in the teachers and in the um, school systems and the people that engage them um, day-to-day um, is an important piece of their social and emotional development. And I, I tend to like to talk to experts, teachers, people from the industry who can give a, um, a stronger tell on what's happening inside the classroom and also giving us understanding how we could play a part in being empowered to do something that can help push our education system to the highest levels of quality for our children and our community. Um, my friend KL is someone of an expert who has been um, being, being in, in a place of consulting and, and the level of education for years now. And it's important that we have the ability to touch brothers like this who are able to bring the information back. I'm going to tap into him real quick. KL, are you on the phone? Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Oh, but definitely, definitely. How are we doing today? I'm doing good, brother. How's everything? I appreciate you, man. Thank you. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Not a problem. Not a problem. Here to help. Okay, <laughs> definitely. You you were part of part one of this um topic. This topic is a very hot topic, and it's very mm-hmm. important. And I felt we didn't we weren't able to really you know get as deep as we needed to. So it was a need for a part two. But I um definitely wanted to you know bring you back into the conversation of of the diversity in the schools. And if you could just, you know, give a little background of who you are to our audience again, and we could walk into, you know, the diversity in school. Definitely. My name is uh, Keith K.L. Belvin. So some people know me as Keith. Some people know me as K.L. I am a 20-year uh, veteran of the New York City, New York City school system, um, where I taught, was also a dean of students. I am a published author. I am the owner of a publishing company. Uh, Brave and Publishing, which has been established back in 2010. I am also a mentor, speaker, and I am a, uh, a counselor by trade. I have two master's degrees. I have a bachelor's degree as well as associates. And I am currently working for the state of Delaware um, as a investigator of allegations of abuse, dealing with social services, dealing with um, development disabled adults, and so um, I spent a lot of time researching and reading and simply just trying to help as many people as possible. So that's who I am and what I do. I appreciate that. And also on the line, we have also um, Barbara Martinez from Uncommon Schools. Barbara, you on the phone? Barbara? Okay, so um, we're going to dive right back into Hi. it. Barbara. Hi, it's Barbara. Can oh. you hear me? 
Yes, ma'am. How you doing, Barbara? I'm good, Alcerese. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for um, coming on board. I have with us K.L. Um, Billings and um, another educator in, in the world of educating our, our babies. And I thank you also for coming on board. So he's given a, a little understanding of who he is and what he does. And at this opportunity, can you just give the audience an introduction of who you are, Barbara, and what you represent in the space of education? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to. Um, my name is Barbara Martinez. I'm Chief External Officer for Uncommon Schools. Uncommon uh, starts and manages schools whose mission is to ensure that low-income kids get to and through college. We have 52 schools in Boston, Camden, Newark, New York City, Rochester, and Troy. We currently serve 18,000 scholars in our schools in K through 12th grade. And uh, our graduates earn bachelor's degrees at five times the rate of low-income students nationally. Um, and I'm based here in Newark. Thank you so much. So we, this, Barbara, actually, this is a part two series of this discussion on where's the color in um, our classrooms and in our schools. And we, um, KL definitely was a host of, um, excuse me, a panelist on our first show. So I'm glad he was able to come back. And now we have you on the line, which is definitely important because I know the work that you guys are doing and recruiting and efforts to make sure that that diversity is, is, is strong in the uncommon world. Because we know that 80% of the teachers today are um, Caucasian. We know in 2017, um, 2012, 76% of the teachers are women. Um, it's now now white children are now believed to make up the majority of the country's public education, yet we know that the minority is over the 50% of the population of our schools. So I wanted to talk to you guys about what's the benefits of having great diversity in our classrooms. You know, minority teachers only positively impact minority students. Just a couple of questions I wanted to touch bases with you guys that some of the parents I've engaged, you know, come across with questions and, and, and concerns because they wonder, why is it such a disparity? So if I could um, definitely start with you, Barbara, and the work you guys are doing in recruiting, and then, Kale, if you could jump in. Um, and we want to just have this roundtable discussion and, and feel free to just engage each other because and, and, you guys are the experts, and I definitely want to charm in with the questions, but I definitely want you guys to get an audience the real gist of the, um, the situation. So, Barbara, can you talk a little bit about what Uncommon is doing in recruiting um, the diversity? Yes, this is such an important topic, and I'm, I'm really glad you're talking about it, and I think more people should talk about it. It's not just a nice to have uh, teachers of color in the classroom. Studies have shown us that, especially for black and brown children in this country, your chances of graduating from high school increase by the number of black and Latino teachers that you have throughout the time that you're in school. So, you know, this is not a nice to have. This isn't like about, you know, being diverse for diversity's sake. This is about ensuring that kids get the ed quality education that they deserve. And so we at Uncommon Schools realized this long ago um, and created our own program um, to increase the percentage of black and Latino teachers in our classrooms. We're really proud that we're more than double the national average. We have nearly 50% of our teachers are black and Latino right now. Um, but we want that number even higher, but over 90% of our kids are black or Latino. Um, so the program that we created about 10 years ago, we started small, and now we're up at about um, 160 interns a year. We scour the country for really bright, um, rising seniors in college who might be interested in education. We really go hard at the HBCUs. We bring these students in um, after their junior year. We train them for the summer. We have them uh, do summer school, uh, teach summer school along with our master teachers. And um, because we train them well and because, you know, teaching is such a satisfying career, many of them, they fall in love with us and our kids. We fall in love with them and they go back to college. 80% of them go back to their last year of college with a job offer to come back to our cities and our schools to teach with us. And more than 80% of those who do get a job offer do actually come back. And some of them, uh, what's great to say is that some of them are actually our own students who have gone on to college and are now coming back to teach in our school. And so Thank I think you. that sort of demonstrates the commitment. 
because there are no other organizations that we know of that are supplying a pipeline of black and Latino teachers the way our No, definitely, and I appreciate that. KL, um, mm-hmm. we, last time we talked, we talked about, you know, the problem and, you know, some of the things that's causing the problem. We just heard Barbara talk about some innovative ways they're doing to, to push that forward. I wanted to take a dive, KL, if you could help me, into, okay, so the process is going towards recruiting parent, um, excuse me, teachers and, of color into the schools, yet – what about, because um, since our last um, conversation, I've been hearing more things towards not so much just the recruiting process of it, but the retention and the um, the teachers and why there's a, a, a gap in, A, the teachers and the um, number, the teachers of color and the number of kids of color that they represent, and then also the rationales of why they leave. And it goes from as far as, just not feeling involved and connected to the kids they get the service coming from sometimes places where these kids come from, even to other parts of just feeling that their, you know, their visions and their ideas just don't get across the table and get um, put into policies and different um, courses um, with inside the school's curriculum. So I wanted to talk to you about that, Kay. What do you think about the uh, retention of the to teachers staying in the field? And I'm just, I'm talking across the board, charter schools, district schools, just teachers leaving the industry, going to take other jobs and other things. Well, um, it's a, the first thing I would say to anyone listening, one of the things you have to understand is that educators who choose to <laughs> educate other people's children, it is a, it's a job that is, it's personally rewarding, but it's not glorified in society. Um, it used to be, but it's not as it was. And so because of that, you don't get the outward glory that a lot of other industries do. So a lot of teachers do it simply because they love kids and they want to see children do better. The problem is when you now take resources away or you don't give enough resources, there's only but so much magic any adult can do in a classroom um, with children when their hands are tied behind their back. That's one thing, when you talk about resources. Then when you're talking about curriculum, well, no one understands, no one is supposed to understand the curriculum better than the educators inside the classroom. Unfortunately, we're left out um, in the curriculums that we get to choose in the classroom. A lot of times it's dictated to us, and and testing has become a priority, even to the point that some parents are looking to sue inner-city um, communities because of the stress or the undue stress that it applies to, the, to their children. So there's a lot of, of, of layers to the onion that would have to be peeled back to really get an idea of how we can fix it simply because each community is different, each uh, set of resources is different, each set of problems is different. But the one thing I would say is that what we have to look at is the amount of bodies of people who actually want to come into teaching. So when you talk about retention, if you're not refilling the ranks with those who retire and those who quit, after a while you're pulling bodies from all different areas, and, and you got people in, in the classroom now in some cases who teaching is not even something they thought about. It's kind of an afterthought. You can't be in a classroom and feel that way. And that's what hurts kids too, uh, children. Also because you have to – you have to have a working knowledge, the individual children that you are working with, which means you have to have a working understanding of the community. You have to have a working understanding of their um, social economic background. You have to understand their cultural diversity. You have to have all of that in mind when you're preparing your lessons, when you're trying to teach, because if you don't, the negatives that you create won't actually let you get back to teaching. If you make one mistake with how you treat a child from a different cultural background, the paperwork alone may cause you to go, you know what, I don't want to be bothered with this. And then at the end of all of that, because of the way a lot of things are set up in, in the different schools, and I can't speak so much to the charter schools because I've never worked at the charter schools, but I do have colleagues who, who have. The one thing that I have heard from a lot of individuals who work at charter schools and the schools that – where they have certain freedoms, is that's the thing that gets them excited, that there are certain freedoms that come from charter schools and other type of, of, of non-public schools 
But at the end of the day, there's only so much that can be done. So I would say there's so many areas you would have to choose one and then mm-hmm. really focus it on that and, and, and attempt to fix that and then go up towards the other one once you, once you get there. Thank you. Barbara, um, what, what do you think about the, um, the retention? Like I said, we, 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 we talked about the, the recruitment. But um, some of the things that we do to retain quality teachers and, and make them feel engaged and involved. Yeah, I think Kale is absolutely right. Um, even if we do interest teachers enough to come into classrooms, mm-hmm. there's too many schools in this country that just sort of throw teachers in and say, "Good luck, mm-hmm. see you in about a year." Mm-hmm. Um, and teachers need support. They want to feel successful. They went into this work to feel successful. You have to create yep. the organizations that are going to make them feel like they're part of it. And so this morning, I was in a first grade class uh, school um, in Newark, and they were uh, first grade reading Stan Hughes' poem and talking about the Harlem Renaissance. And, and you know that, you know, that's coming from um, teachers who are creating that kind of programming for kids. And it was just a beautiful thing to watch. And so I think it's right that when we give uh, teachers a certain amount of autonomy, you know, along with accountability, has to achieve. Um, but you can do kids can't excel and also things that are, like, important to them and their families. And so I think it's critical that um, that we're doing doing all those things. No, definitely. And um, just just for um, Al, can for I, the sound, can I add one thing real quick? Can I add one? Can just, I add just for the sound? If we could speak a little clearer into the microphones. Sure. Now, Do you hear me? Can. Yes, beautiful. Now. Okay. Now. I, and and I would want to add to what Barbara said because that's very very important. Um, we need to have some type of autonomy, but there has to be a, a check and balance to, to make sure there's a measure of what's actually being taught because that's critical too because we've got to see how the kids are doing to be able to know what resources are necessary or what changes need to be made. But back to the original question on retention, one of the things that I've always said, and no one listens to me, is that I believe if you want to keep quality educators in a building, simply say to them, if you stay three years, I'll start you at $5,000 off of your student loan because most educators who are teaching right now have student loans that they're paying off because we're required to have master's degrees to be able to go into the classroom. So if you say, I will give you $5,000 if you stay at least three years, but you can't get it until you finish your third year. Okay. Now that makes the teacher want to be involved in what's going on because there's some, some financial interest. And then if you add to that total, for each year that the, the teacher stays, what that does is it gives the, the teacher a vested interest for themselves, but also what it does is by staying, students can now rotate through the school and start to see the same faces. So that first grader will see their teacher from, and if you want to rotate the teachers with them, you can. Either way, from K to 5, they'll see the same bulk of teachers, which creates a, 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 a connection. I, my last year of teaching was with elementary, and actually I wish I had taught elementary more over the 20 years because I was in secondary schools, uh, junior high schools and high schools. But what I found is because the school that I was in was a pretty good school and it was finally to, to work in an affluent neighborhood, I just saw the differences than some of the neighborhoods that I had been in. But the fact that many of the teachers had been there 18 years, 17 years, 10 years, 9 years, and kids, now their cousins were there, their brothers were there, their sisters were there. That makes a gigantic difference for parents. It makes a gigantic difference for the children. And because there's an economic piece that helps relieve some of the debt that teachers have put themselves in to be able to teach, you now have created at least a platform to give educators a reason to stay. Because if we're coming out of, of, of grad school, 20, 30, 40, 50, $60,000 in debt, depending on what college you went to, you need that assistance, especially when you're in, 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 in environments where there's not that many resources to begin with, and they're already trying to figure out ways to cut teachers' salary. What are we going to do? Very good point. Very good point. And the, you talked about incentives. Um, Barbara, what do you think about incentive-driven um, initiatives for teachers in that, in that, in that form? You know, I want to talk about something that I think is really important and, and, and scary, 
Um, before we even get to incentives, I, I think there are disincentives. Can mm. you hear me? Yes. Definitely. So there's yeah. disincentives. Yeah. The teacher mm-hmm. certification system, at least in the state of New Jersey and likely in other states, is systematically set up um, to weed out certain black and Latino teachers who yes. would be phenomenal teachers in the classroom but cannot pass the bar that uh, other people have set and said that you need to pass this bar to be able to teach in classrooms. So I'll give you, for instance, we have teachers in kindergarten classrooms right now who are really great at teaching but they're having trouble passing the practice. They're having trouble passing the, um, that has three questions. Why does a kid need to know? And so a lot of the black and Latino teachers that we have, they grew up in our urban areas. They didn't go to great schools. And so they're having a tough time that were set up for different students can't be great. He's worried about the disincentives that we have for black and Latino and the, and the hoops that we are making them go through uh, that we shouldn't be. Wow. No, 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 KLG, um, Barbara um, spoke on something, and I, and, I, and, I, and I definitely want to see your opinion about that as far as mm-hmm. the systematic push-out of um, minority teachers with this approach of um, having a bar so high. And what do you think about that? Because that has been a very oh. um, strong conversation in our state. Well, I, I mean, um, Barbara's right. In each each state, manipulates it their own way. And I'll give an example in New York. When I was in New York, um, they changed the way teachers got tenure. So they came up with a a mathematical equation to be able to manipulate it. Any principal can manipulate it any way that they choose to. But here's the thing. At the end of three years when you're up for tenure, if 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 a principal wanted to manipulate it, they would go, oh, we need your portfolio. And then they would come up with a, a thousand things that was wrong with the portfolio, and then they submit it to the superintendent. But the superintendent would just simply ask the principal, do you want to have this teacher on? Um, because once they're given tenure, there's certain protections that's there. The principal would go, I like him as a teacher, but I don't know if I really want to give him tenure because if I want to make some changes. So then they would give you two years probation. Now, what that does, it gives a principal five years to keep a, a new teacher in terror that they can lose their job at any minute and squeeze those five years out of them, and at the end of those five years, let you go if they choose to do so, which means they can pick and choose what teachers that they want, and if they need the space, well, they've created that extra cushion, they let you go. And then senior teachers, what they were doing um, for teachers like myself and others who had been in the system for well over 15, 16 years, they were going to apply as much pressure as possible to get us to retire because of our salaries. They didn't like the fact that many of us were making $90,000 or more and they wanted to reduce that because now with the $100,000 that you have for one teacher, I can get two new teachers who are fearful and no tenure to come in at the lower areas. And then the problem, again, going back to what Barbara's saying is because of the licensing issue, a lot of uh, black and Latino teachers were not able to, to, to pass those exams because they went to community colleges that, that gave them, say, a basic look into education but didn't really cover some of the things that these and they changed the exam uh, I think five years ago or six years ago where they added other exams content specialty tests and other things that were there so uh, as us older teachers were trying to we couldn't even help because those were not exams that were in place when we were licensed so you didn't create a, a harmonious opportunity for teachers to get together to help each other while giving principals a hammer to be able to push out who they want so who were teachers going to take they were going to take white teachers who would make the school look a certain way. Um, I, I was in a school where the principal took two teachers who went to Harvard because that's what she could put on the, the student newsletter that we have two teachers that went to Harvard, but we lost two quality teachers who grew up in the neighborhood. And to me, the two teachers from the neighborhood were more important than the two teachers who went to Harvard. And what happened? The two teachers from Harvard, once they were able to um, get themselves established, get tenured, they left. And then we had a big void. And this happens often in New York, but no one seems to care. Wow! Wow! Listen, let it let it let the people know to let the parents understand what's going on. Barbara, um, there was a little a little um dead sound when you were giving the explanation of the dis um 
the um, disincentives. Can you just give us a, a, another run of that so the p- parents could really hear what you were saying in that? Cause I really want them to grab that. Yeah, I moved to a window, so hopefully this okay. sounds better. No, you're very um, clear, actually. Yeah, so, okay, good. Um, so the, the real, the big problem here is that, um, is the disincentive to becoming a teacher if you didn't go, as Kale said, to like an Ivy League, you didn't go to Harvard. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of really phenomenal teachers in the city of Newark who didn't go to the best schools, but who work really hard at their craft who stay late with their kids, who um, are there to meet their kids where they are, have high expectations for their kids, and they can't pass that praxis exam. And then there's a new praxis exam that they've just layered mm-hmm. on in the past mm-hmm. couple of years, has trigonometry questions. So yes. we, had a WNBA, <laughs> we had a WNBA player gym teacher that we had to let go because she couldn't find, uh, pass the praxis, and she taught wow. gym. So, like, we are, we are leaving so much on the table for our kids because we have these bureaucratic rules that say this piece of paper will make you a great teacher when we all know, those of us who are in schools, know that that piece of paper does not necessarily mean that that makes you a good exactly. teacher or a good teacher exactly. in this school. Exactly. And, and it's things like that that, you know, I can see how a person leaves the industry. Like, if I keep giving, 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 and now I can't get to a higher level simply because, of, like you said, paperwork and, you know, this bureaucracy. That's that's important for parents to know and understand all these other things that's happened. While we're in the classrooms with our babies and, you know, really, you know, aiming to support the teachers in the classroom, you know, Barbara, like roles that you play outside of the classroom, you know, is important because we don't realize the advocacy and the need for outside attention from parents to help in these challenging um, conversations that we're having with legislators and people who keep wanting to have the status quo be um, where is that. Kaya, I wanted to ask you, um, same, obviously we're on the same vein, but I was talking to someone, and this is another thing that came up, and it was interesting to me, and I would love you guys' opinion on this. One of the, people, mm-hmm. one of the teachers I was talking to said that there's a, um, in, this, in this process, there's a, um, with the teacher, they, the, of color, that a lot of a lot of um, administrators and, and bosses don't give that teacher the opportunity, and a teacher of color, I'm talking about, the opportunity to go through a healing process because the healing process that is needed is based on the fact that some of the, a lot of these teachers of color come from the communities that are failing the kids um, that they're that they're teaching. So they come from an environment where it was failing. They risen up out of it. They want to come back and save their community and save those babies and give them the information. But then when they come back, they are part of the oppression that they were a part of when they was a student. Cause now they're teaching and they have no voice. They have no, you know, say in the character and the design of the curriculum in the school. So that's another push that um, weighs heavy on um, some teachers that I was getting as I, um, you know, talk to different teachers mm-hmm. across the land. What do you think about that? That's interesting that it actually talked about a time to heal. I, I got to save that one. Um, but I agree. I think what happens, like anything else, and, and you have to realize that, unfortunately, and even worse so now with our, our, our current president, but it, it, it started happening under President Obama. So um, what people have to understand is that, Principals are under pressure for students to do well on exams. Um, that lays a lot when it comes to money. There's a lot that goes on. So what, what happens is there's no healing um, when it comes to teaching because you're going to – and this is how I was taught when I first came in back in 1997, 98. I was told it's like being put into a boat with one oar, cast out onto the to the lake, and you got to find your way back to shore the best way you can. If you make it back to shore, then you might get some resources. If you get tossed up out the boat or something happens, you know, thank you for your time. And I had to make it through that, and I got through that. So I had to learn how to manipulate my classroom to do the best I could to make sure I gave my kids the best opportunity possible. But here's what's changed over time. They have made it a business where we used to hear all the time, children are not soup cans and children are not, uh, this is not a factory assembly line and we need to treat children differently. Okay, that sounds great. 
and that's great for sound bites and political arguments, and that's great when you're at PTA meetings um, for parents to make them feel good about what goes on. But what actually happens in the classroom is that if that principal is under pressure, that these test scores have to be up, but there's certain state requirements that have to be made, they're going to apply pressure to every person. Now, I taught health. I taught PE. I taught English. I taught math. I taught a lot of things. But what I found is that all of it was affected by the English, math, science, social studies and, and passing those exams and how sometimes you would, they would cut the gym classes short, which I would then argue these kids need exercise. These kids are not going out for resources, I mean, a recess. And if you're not letting them go outside during gym, you're affecting their health. I was told that's secondary. We got to do these exams. So I said there, and I used to make this argument. I don't care what subject that you're in, take away your health, it's not going to matter. I was told to be quiet because everything was just about these exams. So that's actually what prompted me after 20 years to say enough is enough. I was five years. I could have stayed on for five more years and, and, and got my 25, 55, whatever. I left after 20 because I was done. I just took a three-quarters retirement because I was tired of fighting and in watching it affect the, the children that I'm working with. Because when you're trying to teach something that you see kids enjoy and that kids are learning, and I say, oh, I took this kid from zero to level 10, but you say level 20 is what makes this kid intelligent. So now you just threw away all the work that I did because some chart told you the kid should be at level 20. But you didn't come into my classroom to see that this kid was in here beating on other kids when I first got him. This young lady here wouldn't put her clothes on because everything that she saw on television was more important to her. But now she's doing something. She's grown. She's growing. And if the next teacher can take what I've done and run with it, then they're going to be able to get this child where. How many people started on their place of business right now as effective as they are going to be five years later? Nobody. But they don't take that into consideration. But yet they will lie to parents and say, we're trying to teach real-life situations. Well, if we're, if we're teaching real-life situations, why do you get mad when I create a situation where children can fail? Why did I create a situation where children can fail? Because I wanted to do an assessment of who has the internal fortitude to get past a scenario that they didn't know was set up for them to fail. And then once I let them in on, guys, there was no way you was going to pass that project, but I wanted to see how you interacted with each other. And then now I give them another group project because I'm trying to teach them what real life is about. But then I'm told inappropriate use of educational time because there's no English piece and there's no um, math piece and they got to work towards these exams. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. You're going to tell me in my health class that I got to work in an English piece and a math piece because of the exams, but I can't focus on them as a, as a whole being? And this is the type of stuff that goes on the regular. But yet when they march people around the building from the outside, politicians, everybody else, they come by your classroom and now they want you to dance and perform. Oh, this is Mr. Belvin. He's one of our most respected teachers. But you're not respecting what I do. So am I? So after a while, a lot of teachers just smile, play the game, close the door, and do the best they can. That doesn't help the children over time because, again, resources are not there. And now with a new president who has now created a new tax bill that says if I buy a, a, a thing of pencils or I buy paper, I can't claim that anymore. So now you've now taken the ability that teachers would have to at least get something back on their taxes for money that they lay out. They can't get it anymore. So how's that going to affect young children of color? It means that teachers are no longer going to use their own resources, which means now that there's a lack of resources, our children will be hurt, but no one cares. Wow. And this is dynamic because as a parent, we, we need to have this insight. We need to have this information on the table and just hear different perspectives because at the end of the day, I come and visit my, my baby in the classroom, but I'm definitely not there that 180 days that you guys are grinding mm -hmm. and seeing the other side of, of the beauty of our children and what's going to take them to, like you said, level 10, and, and, and on a real organic level where they're really retaining the information, but also mm -hmm. the teachers staying in the classroom and my child getting to see Ms. Smith, Ms. Mr. Belvin on a consistent level versus you guys frustrated and, you know, this is the last year and the kids are like, where's Mr. Belvin going? And, you know, he's off to yeah. a whole nother industry, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Barbara, um, talk to me about uh, about that from your perspective in regards to you know, teachers feeling that, you know, I went to school, school failed me, I'm going to come back and make a change and then get into the school system as a teacher and get caught up in the bureaucracy and the climate and the culture and the, at, and the 
atmosphere of, of lack of resources and um, support, and, and, and they feel as though they're, they're stuck and they're oppressed and their whole process of education from being taught to now trying to teach. Yeah, I mean, he's absolutely right. I mean, who who in their right mind would want to walk into a career that sounds like that? And that, and yet that's what we do to teachers all across the country and then wonder why we have a teacher shortage. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that the CS, people go into teaching because they want to make a difference, because they want to affect children, they want to teach children. And so we as adults have to create the scenarios for that to happen. And what that means in every other industry except ours is training. The more you can train a professional in their craft, the better they will get, the more satisfied they will be, and the better job they will do. But if we continue to hire people, throw them in the classroom, you know, as he mentioned, do this, do that, use this book, use that book, I don't care what you think um, kind of thing, then we're frustrating the heck out of people, and we shouldn't be surprised that they don't want to become teachers or that they don't want to stay as teachers. Um, And so in particular in our schools, we take teacher satisfaction really, really, um, really critically because that's what matters, right? Happy teachers are what, what are able to get to student achievement. Um, angry teachers are not. Teachers who don't feel fulfilled um, do not do a great job. And so we bring our teachers in three weeks in the summer um, in August. They get professional development, the master teachers working with the rookie teachers. Um, everybody's getting a mentor. Once the school year starts, you've got a coach in your room that's helping you, you know, Miss Smith, you know, where you think you're having a problem, how can we work together, what, you know, what, what's, uh, what's a move you could do that, to help with, you know, that student or the other student. And it's a very coaching, um, positive relationship. It's not evaluative. It's not I'm coming mm-hmm. in your room to tell you the 20 things you did wrong and writing you up and putting it in your file. It's actual the type of coaching that you see in sports, which you may be really good, but everyone needs a coach. And that's sort of like we're all in this together. We all want to grow. We all want to do what's great for kids. And we want to make you feel that you're supported in the work that you're doing so that you can grow in your craft. And so our teacher satisfaction um, surveys are really high. Our teachers recommend um, other people to come teach here we have, you know, something like seven or 8,000 applications every year for a couple hundred spots. And I think it's because pe- teachers know where they can go, that where they're going to get the support and be able to grow as teachers. Um, and they, and they'll, they'll know where they're, that's not going to happen. And so I think it's, it's about um, not, you know, not demanding they do this or that, but inspiring teachers about what they can do when they have the support that they actually need. How do we get the teacher and um to to um be a part of the um the decision making or is that not possible? You know, I know there's teachers who I know run for um school boards and you know, so they have the ability to, you know, be a part of that. Like they leave education and sit on you know, I know a uh, uh, you know, a school board member, um Miss o- um Leah Owens is out in, in Newark and she used to be a teacher. Now she's on the board. Like, teachers are leaving actually the classroom and going into the actual position of of shaping the policy and the legislation. What do you think about that um, type of direction and aiming to fix some of the um, the, the the red tape in in, in in this education system? I think you have to create organizations where people think that they can, where people know that they can rise through the ranks, right? Mm-hmm. And so. Our CEO, our chief academic officer, all of our assistant superintendents were teachers in the classroom, and they grew um, and rose through the ranks. We didn't bring them from outside. They, like, you know, came in as teachers, um, and they can grow. We have so many for our teachers who don't want to just teach. You know, they've been teaching a few years. They want more responsibility. They can join a working group. So we have a math working group. We have a science working group. We have an English language arts working group. What books should our kids be reading? Like, how can I play a role in choosing the books that our kids read? And so there are all these opportunities that we have to create for teachers. We can't just say, listen, you're a teacher for the next 30 years. Take it or mm-hmm. leave it because they'll leave it. You're, you're not going to keep people that way. 
And so we want to be intentional in our organization to create these opportunities for people to rise up. If that's they, what they want to do, they can stay in classrooms if that's what they want to do. But that we have this outlet for like as, you, as your career grows, you can continue to grow with us. And we benefit from that, right? Because the more years of experience an educator has, uh, the more great things they're going to do for kids. Definitely. Kale, your, um, your opinion on that, um, teachers taking the role of being a part of the, 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 um, the policy making and the legislation making versus um, staying in the classroom as a sign of well, trying where, to change. This is where you come in um, with the parents and, and, and the parents that you represent, as well as all the parents listening. This is where y'all come in. You have to use your, your, your influence and power to really get administration and superintendents to allow teacher input to be um, to be used. Teachers will always uh, well, teachers are always giving parents feedback on what needs to be done for uh, their child. But as for the overall, you have to come to those community board meetings. You have to vote in in in, um, in district meetings. You have to vote for uh, city council folks. You have to put the people who represent your way of thinking in place so at least that person can go head-to-head with the superintendents. And then as parents, really lay heavy on to the principal about what you want to see, what you want to do, and defend the better teachers that are in your school. Every parent knows who the good teachers are, just like every parent knows who the teachers that are not so good. I'm not going to say bad, but not so good, who need some help. So what you have to do is you have to fight hard to make sure that that quality teacher is protected as well as is involved in the, the process, what's going on. So when you have um, your meetings, your board meetings, and you have your principal, you have your educational liaison, make sure that the, the parents are okay with that educational li- liaison, that it's not a, sh- a shill that's picked by the principal just to, to speak on behalf of the teachers and none of the parents actually like that person. Make sure it's one of the quality teachers that you want at that, at that table. And if that quality teacher can't be there because they have personal responsibilities, find a way to get that feedback from them that you can speak on their behalf. I spoke to Mr. Belvin and here's some of the changes that he would like to implement, but because of his daughters or whatever, you know, things like that, because it has to be, it's, it's really a triangle. Administration, parents, educators. Two-thirds of that triangle have to be in place if you're going to have a good school. When all three are working in conjunction with each other, you have a great school. And most of the time when you see poor schools that are, are, that are tearing itself apart, it is because that triangle does not have any intercontinuity with all three. So the parents are fussing, teachers are fussing, administration is fussing. So what you've got to do is you've got to have 66%, two-thirds of that triangle have to be in connection with each other, and then that power can now force the other third to at least have to listen, at least have to consider. And the school that I was in, they even forced out the principal who was extremely negative that by the time I left in June, she was no longer on the job, and that was because of the parents forcing, standing outside and picketing, standing outside and protesting, doing interviews on YouTube and other little small local channels until um, councilmen started to come. Regular newspapers started to pick it up, and then the pressure got to the point where the district says, you know what, we got to remove this principal. They moved her to another school, and they brought in a principal that they felt was going to be representative of the parents who were complaining, and that was the use of parental power that could happen, and it's very, very important. One thing I want to just add uh, while I'm on is that you can go to the United States government and look up the state of, of racial diversity in the, education, in, in the educated workforce, and it's very important because this is the stats from all over the country. And parents as well as educators, you've got to know what the rest of the country is doing and what's going on. So when you make your arguments or when you want to see where money is being diverted, we've got to know this stuff so you can know locally that, you know, in the country, this amount of, of, of white educators to black educators, this amount of white students to black students. And then you can sit down and say, but we can change that. Because I came from a school my last year, thank God, that I got to see diversity at its best. I worked with white, black, Indian. I worked with all persuasions of children. And the beautiful thing about it was, other than the principal being somewhat negative, I got to watch children simply enjoy being with each other and enjoy being with the teachers that was there. Only problem is there was only three male teachers in the building and only one male teacher of color, myself. And I felt bad about that because all the young males of color did not have a role model other than me, and I could only teach but so many in, in my gym. And then on top of that, 
it it wasn't diversified. So you had a lot of people who didn't understand how young men and women of color behave. So a lot of times when they were saying, you need to do this, they were speaking from their own position, their own understanding of what behavior looks like. But if you don't understand the social or cultural differences in some of the children, then what you're doing is trying to force a child into a box that they don't know how to get into or get out of. I used to have to go over and tell the teacher, listen, he's not being disrespectful. That's, he's just playing. Well, I, who plays like that? I said, kids of color do. And she looked at me, what do you mean? I said, they were joking with each other. They weren't, they weren't about the fight. They weren't being upset with each other. They were joking. I said, young men, tell her. And then when they started to explain, instead of acquiescing and saying, okay, as the educator, I was wrong, she then lectured them on why they shouldn't do that. And I said, you know what, I'm going to stop here because this is about to turn into something. So when she walked away, I said, fellas, be a little more careful. But because she didn't understand them playing the dozens, basically, she was now going to try to redo everything in their social makeup. That's a problem. But parents can fix that because you can come in and say, how come there isn't more male teachers of color? How come we don't have a, a diversity program? And then when you can take the numbers from the country and use that to look at your own situation, now you have some knowledge that you can work with. Uh, thank you for that. Thank you. Um, Barbara, um, towards the end of the, um, this discussion, I definitely want you to um, give the parents an opportunity to know what part we could play and, you know, pushing the, 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 the voice of the teachers who are, you know, giving our scholars and our babies, you know, the opportunity to really be successful in life you know, champion with our efforts as parents. So what can we do to help this this this, this um, lack of color in our classrooms and this ret- retention of um, quality um, teachers of color? Yeah, I mean, I think we got to keep talking about it. You know, parents have to keep talking about it. And, you know, what KL was saying in particular, uh, boys of color, men of color, we need to teaching in our classrooms. We're about to announce it on your show first, Alteris. No, we haven't announced it yet, but we have a partnership with Morehouse College. We already have about 25 uh, Morehouse alums that are teaching right now. We need nice. more. And so wow. and even though we're super proud of the fact that we nearly 50 teachers are black or Latino, again, we need more, and we need more male um, black teaching in our in our schools, so we have uh, we signed a memorandum of understanding with Morehouse College. Um, we just did a professional development right there on their campus, where um, a couple of our teachers went and talked to the college students about what amazing things can happen in a school if you become an educator. Um, and they are you know going to work on sending us recruits every year, and we're going to send people there to like just. You know, it's about opening doors. I mean, there are there are tons and tons of kids across the country in colleges right now who are not even thinking about becoming a teacher. Why not? We should be opening their hearts to this amazing um, job and the amazing potential that they can have on young people's lives. And so I think for parents is to keep pushing, keep pressing, keep looking at the numbers. What are your numbers? Tell us your numbers. It's, you know, you know tongue in cheek, it's black and white. Like every school has a percentage of teachers that are that are black and Latino. What is that number? Let's publish it. Let's put it out there. Let's talk about it, um, and let's talk about solutions too, right? Because it's one thing to just um, go out there, protest, and, and complain, but like we we got to help each other with solutions. Well, this is this is definitely what need to be done. We have to continue to push forward. KL. Um, you you also touched base on what the parents should do. You kind of segue into that, um, <laughs> and, and, and it's important because this is the parents engaging parents. And I am blessed that I'm talking to two parents who happen to be educators also. Yet us on this side of the tracks, you know, we we desperately, you know, a lot of times we point fingers at you guys. A lot of times we just dump the blame right on your head because at the end of the day. It's on you. My taxpayer dollars is paying for this education, and I don't want to hear it. Get it right. What can mm-hmm. I do to really help you get it right other than continue to just, you know, be another part of the um, of the struggle that you deal with? So in my last <laughs> five minutes of the show, you know, I want to break it up, you know, give you two minutes, give um, Barbara the last two minutes, and then just, you know, give our parents, you know, an uh, angle of how we can play a part and pushing this forward. 
Gotcha. I'll make it real quick. Um, the first thing is continue to be a strong advocate, whether it makes me feel uncomfortable or not. Fight for yours. As I tell every parent, don't worry about the class. Fight for your child and then convince other teachers to do the same thing. Because what will happen is you're going to look up and see that you're all fighting for the same thing. Second thing is protect the quality educators in the building. Protect them. Listen to them. Find out what they need. And then put that pressure also on the principals to get them what they need. Negative educators. Don't feel that you need to be quiet because you don't want to be that parent. Be that parent. Start Be as critical as possible to, to educators that are clearly not taking your child's interest in mind or not teaching lessons that are interesting. Come into the classroom. Look at their homework. Look at how their child responds to the homework. Is the child just sitting there going, oh, does the child? I'll have too much work because the, the, the educator just wants to try to dump a lot on them because they're trying to do whatever. Be as engaged as possible. Know as much as you can. Be as be seen as often as possible and become a thorn in the side of your principal as well as the, the teachers because it is you that have the, the, the power to alternate what goes on in the building. So I would just simply say to a parent, become that parent that you go, oh, here comes Mr. Frazier again. Yes, here he comes because you know I'm going to get a business. And you know what happens is good teachers don't worry about that because good teachers already know that you're doing it because you love your child. So they're going to be transparent, which I always was. And what happens is you start to figure out who the better educators are. Hold on to them and your child's education will, will, will take off. Thank you. Barbara, um, mm-hmm. well, last thoughts on how parents can, like, again, be champions in, in this space of color being in our classroom and, and helping retain the color that's in our classroom from your your perspective. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree with KL. You've got to get involved. you got to say something. You know, I grew up, my parents were immigrants, and my mom went to the open house, and that's it. You know, she felt like she didn't. She never felt like she had a right to go in there and ask questions. And I'm a different parent than she was. I have three kids. And I, you know, I don't want to be thought of as a thorn in the side of the teacher. But, like, and I do it in a very nice way. But, like, I am my, I am this child's advocate. And, you know, until this Mm -hmm. child can advocate for herself, like, I am these children's advocate. And that is true of every parent. And so don't assume places of power or doing the right thing because that's how they got into power and like you know they must be smarter than me or they must be more powerful it's not they are the view and, and parents mind that their voice is so important and they must ask questions even if they think they know the answers or they think they don't um, deserve the answers ask the questions get engaged get a get together with other parents and come out make your voice heard these people these people are in their jobs because people voted for them and so they they owe us answers and we want to make sure that we don't leave anything on the table and that we come out definitely. and ask questions oh definitely mm-hmm. i want to thank you two guys again um ladies and gents and i appreciate everything you guys brought to the table today parents engaging parents our mission is to make sure that the parent voices that are definitely elevated and that at the end of the day we thoroughly understood that we are full parent partners in our children's educational experience. And we thank you, educators, for coming on board this platform and enriching us with information that we can go out and continue to be strong advocates for our children. Once again, thank you. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat. And at the end of the day, I thank you all. Once again, parents, we must engage each other. Thank you and be blessed.